Making Media tells the story of our media business, Colossus. If you aren't familiar with our platform, make sure to check out joincolossus.com. There you'll find our latest episodes across each of our shows, the transcripts, supporting third-party materials, and even some written content as well. So whether you're an investor or an operator, we're out to create the content that we wish we had when we were in those exact roles. Invest like the best, business breakdowns, Web3 breakdowns, and founders each cover different angles of the ecosystem. And our special series like 50X and Return on India are targeting niche topics. Again, make sure to check out joincolossus.com for more on the platform. Let's do this. Welcome to Making Media. Humans are in an eternal quest for convenience. Save me time, make my life easier. Oh my gosh, that was such a good start to an interview. For today's Making Media, we are back again. It's Matt Russell, again, missing my co-host compadre, Dom Cook, who is still on his honeymoon. We are excited to welcome him back with open arms when he does return. And this is a format that we've been thinking about a lot. So we're going to be interested in getting your feedback. There's a variety of different ways that you can present the best learnings, lessons, specific comments that come out of any individual episode. We typically think that there's a thread line going on between these comments, and you could take several different things from several different guests and really create a very interesting story. So that's what we're ultimately doing here. I picked some of the most interesting things that I think have been revealed on our podcast. And I selected these, and I'm placing these in here with additional context as to why it's important to us and why I think it's more broadly important to anybody that's in the media space. So we're going to jump through a bunch of these. And I think it's useful because one of the main things that I always worry about, the things, you know, in terms of anxiety, what keeps you up at night, it's that you do all this learning from people around you that have done successful things. And this goes across all of our shows. Studying great founders, learning from the best in the investment world, studying these great businesses. Well, what does it matter if you can't take that knowledge and apply it in practice? So that's one of the things that's always in the back of my head. And I want to try to pull out the lessons that we've taken and how we may or may not be implementing them into our own business. And we're going to start out with what I think is the best two-minute spiel that I've heard on media from anyone. It happened to come in the very first batch of episodes from Sean Griffey from Industry Dive. And it's on the importance of the market that you operate in. And so for us, when we look at new markets, we look for areas of high capital spend. And that means that there's buyers and sellers within those. And that seems pretty straightforward, but you'd be amazed at how many times I see media companies enter a market with an ad-supported model And there's just not a lot of buying and selling in that industry, right? So you look at investment bankers and they make a lot of money and they're parties to a huge amount of deals, but they only buy plane tickets and laptops, right? And so my model would never work for investment bankers. We we would have to have a subscription model. So we look for high capital spend. We look for industries that aren't very consolidated. So early in my career, we were in the telecom space and that was great until the Arbox all consolidated into three carriers, four carriers. The buying and selling decisions are very concentrated. And, and if you view your role as a connector between buyers and sellers, and that's part of what marketing supported media is, consolidated industries don't work. 
And then, as you said, Dom, we're looking for industries where there's competition. And that's just a sign that there's a market, right? And our, our bet is that we can out-execute in the market. I'm not trying to have the first cannabis publication uh, or crypto publications out there, even though both of those markets were probably going to be great, you know, business media supported markets. I just don't need to be the first. I'll try to out-execute. So, so we go with that as the lens when we enter markets. Um, when we get there, the first thing we have to do is nail who the reader is. And it's not enough to say, oh, we're going to enter the retail industry. Uh, we're not writing for people who manage a single store for the gap or something, right? We're, we're writing for people who make technology and e-commerce decisions within the retail space. And so understanding who the exact reader within the market is, is the most critical thing we can do because then we can tailor content around their needs. And when we get that, things tend to fall in place. So again, I think that's an incredible explanation from Sean there. It hits us directly in terms of the comments that he made about investment bankers, and I'll get to that. But what I would say is, if you are looking to enter the media business and you want the content itself to be your source of revenue, profits. You want to make this into a successful business? Listen to that. That is the best piece of advice that I could give you. And I'm not giving you that advice. It's Sean giving that advice. But again, I think that is something to highly consider. Now, you can use content creation or a media business for a variety of other reasons. You might just simply want a currency to meet with other people that are very interesting. And you can spend your time meeting with a ton of interesting people. This podcast has allowed me to meet with a ton of interesting people. And I am very, very grateful for that. But if you want to think about dollars and cents and direct dollars and cents from the content, listen to Sean there. Now, how does that apply to us at Colossus? It's interesting because when he first mentioned, well, bankers only buy plane tickets and laptops, I extended that a little bit and thought about, okay, how about investors? Do they fall into that same category? And I would say I would group everyone together. What bankers, investors, anybody in the broader investment universe, what do they buy? There are very specific pieces of software. And I would say it's his point on it being consolidated, the nature of the service pro providers being consolidated, that actually makes it a bit more challenging. Our industry and where we focus most of our time, it wouldn't grade as an A plus on Sean's scale. So that's something to consider and just giving an honest assessment on that. The next comment that I think about a lot is on this idea around institutions, individuals, and brands. So I personally am a big believer that individuals continue to gather more power in the world. And we have technology now that allows us to communicate with our own name attached to it versus 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when all of this was coming out from a few brands that control the world. I'm not teaching you anything new here. But with that said, there are limitations to what individuals can do because an individual can comment on social media and they can put their faces and names out there, but that limits their ability. Once they're sleeping, there's not much that can be done. And if it is done, it's with some ghostwriter who's doing it for them behind the scenes. And yes, there's some possibility and potential around that. But eventually, that growth curve stalls out. So brands still have value. How should we think about value? I think Adam Ryan, who runs Workweek, who thinks about this a lot, he breaks it down here with a reference to Logan Paul and his prime brand. 
And I think like David Rubenstein is a huge inspiration of the business. And he has the David Rubenstein show. He doesn't need to go into like other initiatives because he has the Carlisle Group and a few billion behind his name. But if David Rubenstein was like, I want to build the next media company, I think he would consider a brand name because it allows you actually to market more and expand your addressable market. And the best example of this now is Prime with Logan. The reason why that brand is crushing it is because he has his followers buy that consistently, but also the brand itself can stand alone. So my mom doesn't know who Logan Paul even is, but she can walk in the grocery store and be like, oh, it's like a new Gatorade. Let's buy that for the kids. And like that is expanding your addressable market. So I think it's using a brand strategy or an institution strategy with an individual leading it is the perfect formula compared to going one way or the other. So completely agree with Adam on the point on brand's value. I think there's a few interesting things that Adam mentions that I hadn't really thought too much about before. But if you just take Prime and Logan Paul, Prime is new. It doesn't have Logan Paul's name in it. It was brought up and created well after Logan Paul started having success on his various social media platforms and media platforms. Uh, But the point is you can create brands in the future. You don't have to create them at the start. And I think there's this idea built to sell and you can create entities and you need to be thinking about that from day one. But what I took away from that, what Adam was saying, and as I thought about it, really do agree with is that it doesn't have to be from day one that that brand name exists. And you can create a lot of individual brand value yourself before you create the extension of yourself. Now, a piece of this is also the content to commerce playbook, which is commonly referenced in media. I am going to have some content. I am going to be able to take that audience that I have built around the content and monetize via some type of commerce, whether that's a product like Prime or something else. And I think... The expectation for most people is you build that product, you create that product, it's something new. It wasn't until we spent time talking with Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening that we saw there is an entirely different playbook out there that could exist. And especially when you are covering these products in terms of your content, you get access to a lot of different things. You see how things work. You can test, for him, a lot of gardening products. And it started in the early days when he started using raised beds, loved them so much, wanted to become the exclusive distributor for them. But then he extended beyond that. And again, I think it is not easy to make an acquisition. It certainly involves a lot of complexity that I don't think everybody is necessarily set up to do, but it is an option. And let me remind you, not everybody is set up to create a product. And oftentimes, if you can find a good product that already exists and pair up with that team... There's very interesting things that can come from it. And the way that Kevin thinks, again, I mentioned something recently on social media. He might be the specific creator that I would most recommend that people follow and review as a case study. Now, why is that? He doesn't cover an obvious space. I think most people wouldn't look at his case study, if I'm being completely honest, because it's in gardening. You're fortunate to have an excellent host who appreciates the world of landscaping as much as he appreciates the world of podcasting and creating. But what that allows me to do is see someone like Kevin and acknowledge, okay, very interesting vertical, and then look at what he's done. And I said this after we recorded with Kevin. We were having an offsite at the time. And I said, if there was one person that we've talked to in the creator space 
that's most likely to be able to run a public company that's of reasonable enterprise value, 10 billion plus, I think it's actually Kevin. And I know that is an absurd claim. It's not a claim that I would make about many people. So without further ado, here's Kevin. So like rewind in terms of prior to the acquisition, was this something that you were seeking out? Is it something that you felt like was the next logical step? Like how hard were you looking to acquire a business? I would say pretty, pretty damn hard, honestly, because the way Epic was prior to the the big acquisition, we've done three, two were quite small relative to the seed company, botanical interests. Um, we had the media, right? We had all the platforms, the blog, the podcast, YouTube, multiple YouTube channels, multiple creators. And so we're like, okay, in our space, we're doing really, really well in media. It's it's a profitable business for us and, and we're great. And we had this nascent commerce business. It's weird for me to say nascent from, from like my perspective as like a YouTuber, a content creator doing many, many millions in revenue is like not very small, but from the perspective of the industry or the category, it would be quite small. And so we go, okay, well, we, we've proven that our audience enjoys what we create and trusts our recommendations and we recommend good stuff and sell to them. What if we were able to speed that up? And there's certain businesses that you you could build them, but it would be very difficult. It'd be a total slog. Uh, and seeds is definitely one because it, it's a it's a very resource intensive or experience intensive business. You have to um, source and or contract grow out actual plants, harvest them for their seed, germinate germinate them out, test them, test them for you know organic or or GMO properties, germinate, test them, all this different stuff pack them in packs, design the packs, somehow get that out to wholesale. It's like, well, it can be built because there are businesses there, but it's like a five to 10 year slog just to get that up and running. And there's a, there was a fantastic brand in the space that was actually the first pack I ever grew that we found out the founders were looking to, to sell. And so we had looked at dozens, more than dozens of businesses at that point in time. We're like, okay, this one seems really promising. Honestly, that's probably great advice in terms of whether to build or to buy uh, right there from Kevin, whether you consider that as part of a media extension or just in business in general. What's the slog? What's the process associated with getting to the same point that some others might already be at? And can you find a good marriage? So again, can't speak highly enough about Kevin and and the amount that I've learned from him. And he's someone where I say to myself, you know, people are going to be doing this for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And that just means he's going to be at a very interesting point 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So anyway, I can stop gushing about Kevin. Um, and if you want more gushing, I'm happy to do that over uh, email, DM, or whatever you like. But I'll keep it moving here. The next interesting conversation was just on Something that relates to all this in terms of monetization, and that's on IP. And I think IP can sometimes be overrated. It's like, well, what does this really mean? But at the same time, we see how valuable it is. Even if the Marvel superhero thing has peaked, the lessons from Marvel are still there. They're still obvious. And I think that it's important to think about whatever you're creating, is there some additional play on the IP that you have and, and you can extend on it. I think this is where brand comes into play. Again, we were talking about Logan Paul and what he's created with Prime. But Todd breaks this down very, very thoughtfully. Again, he was the creator of Spawn, the comic book character. He also 
was the artist on The Amazing Superman 300, the cover with Venom. Epic cover. Classic. Something I learned after creating the episode, but just going to pretend like I knew it beforehand. Uh, He has a lot of fans, and he is absolutely incredible. Find you an artist who can think strategically like Todd, and you're in good shape. And again, from my end, when I started Spawn, and I've said before, I wanted to hit four pillars. I wanted to hit TV, movies, toys, and video games. And the reason for putting those four, because I think they're big audiences, and they're outside the bubble of comic book. And I've always said that if you can build a strong foundation and put those four pillars in, then you can build skyscrapers on top of it. So the only thing I would add to that and make sure to highlight is Todd mentioned you have this foundation. In this case, it might be a comic book character. You want to build on top of that foundation. I think a lot of people think about that as well. I have this audience or I have this media business. Let me build on top of it. But there was a key thing that he mentioned in there. He thought of TV, movies, toys, video games as being big audiences outside of the bubble of comic books. So if you can tap into new areas, new worlds, that's going to open things up quite a bit. And again, I think this ties back into take something like Logan Paul and Prime. You have Logan Paul's audience, but then you also have anybody else who likes energy drinks or whatever the hell is inside of those bottles. But you're introducing yourself to an entirely different audience that stands on its own. Moviegoers, many of them have seen Spawn and never opened up a comic book. I might know one, and I might see him every morning when I look in the mirror. That's a good case. I never bought a toy, but I know plenty of people that buy toys and don't buy comic books. So, again, something interesting in terms of the nuance to that answer that I think is not obvious when it comes to extending on IP. Shifting gears a little bit and getting into what might be considered the more playful side of the business. We can debate whether that's the case, but... Away from traditional business strategy and big words like institution and brand and vertical and more into the content itself. What makes things jump? Uh, Why are you still listening to this? What have I learned in terms of the art of great conversation, great interviewing, great debates, great content? And one of the best discussions that we had, and this is one we actually talk about a lot internally, if those slack walls could talk, uh, is the Spike Eskin interview from the very start of the year. And I think there were many people from the sports world that listened, not nearly enough from the media world, but those that did know the hidden gem that is that conversation. But Spike gets into what actually drives for good debate. And I think about this a lot. If you just say the same obvious stuff, like before when I was telling you that individuals have more power now because of the internet, not exactly an enlightening comment. I think you probably had some idea of that, and people have been saying it for 20 years. So was it worth me reiterating that? Well, we could debate that. Uh, But Spike gets into a little bit more about framing that and thinking about it specifically when you're having these conversations. And this is one that stuck with me. And whenever I think about, eh, the conversation kind of sucked, this is usually what I go back to. And I say, well, it didn't grade out on this framework. The same way is that if every opinion you had, 80% of the people agree with you, It's not that interesting. There's no conversation there. To me is, I want to start a conversation. I want to start a conversation. So if everybody agrees with me, I might be right. It might be thoughtful, but there's not a conversation there. Doesn't mean I don't agree with it. Doesn't mean I have to say something I don't agree with, but it does mean I have to look deeper within what I think to find something that is a thought starter. Normally, these thought starters are best if on the surface, the top level, they are 
binary. I think X or Y. It doesn't mean that the truth isn't somewhere in between. I think Daniel Jones should be back on the Giants next year. Sure, you could come up to me and say, oh yeah, what if it's an eight-year deal for $50 million a year? Okay, now we're talking. But the truth is, I think he should be back. You don't. Let's figure out why that is. And let's debate why that is. For me, it's about digging within the things that you already believe to find the thing that is interesting. And the thing that is most interesting usually is the thing that there's disagreement about. Doesn't mean that your first instinct isn't correct in terms of what you feel. It doesn't mean it's not right. It doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. It means that maybe it's support for what you're really trying to say and just keep talking about it and keep thinking about it until you figure out what that thing really is. And I think for most people, it's usually not that far. It's really a word or two difference. It's really like 10% away of just shifting it and saying, well, what if you said it this way? Or how do you feel about this? Or you think quarterback X is good. Is he a top 10 quarterback in the league? Top five? What is it? Where's the line? By the way, that goes back to that process that I talked about, the egoless process that your first instinct's not right. Okay, be told that you're wrong. Have the commitment to keep digging and find that conversation. So I think there are some people who say things specifically to get a response. A response is the object on some level, but I think you would find very few people that are successful in this world who are consistently saying things that at least half of their audience don't agree with. That's the magic of it. So what Spike was talking about was in the context of debate shows, which I think we are all obviously familiar with. But I think you can extend the analogy and just think about content in general. Are you learning something new? And how is that presented to you? So obviously, if you say something like the auto market grew a lot in the early 21st century, not entirely new. But if you go deeper and you say between 1915 and 1920, it went from 2% vehicles on the road to 100% vehicles on the road. That's very interesting. That's a very specific data point. It's a little bit more detailed. And it's like, what is that thing that is new and differentiated in terms of the insight that you're bringing that is not entirely obvious? And usually, it's got to have some level of detail and some level of constraint or specification to it that I think drives that. Uh, but just in general, got to be asking yourself, is this interesting? And that brings us to our next comment, which was a joyful interview through and through with Matt Levine of Bloomberg, the master of taking very complex topics and presenting them in a very thoughtful way. And listen to him talking about his niche, which this comment got a lot of attention behind the scenes and I guess in the public sphere as well. And I think it has encouraged many people to explore some of these more complex regions of the world. Very early on, my sense was that there is an expectation that weird, complicated niche topics have only weird niche audiences. And that doesn't seem true. I think about my readers, some of them are people who work in fairly technical areas of finance and are like, finally, I get to read about this fairly technical area. Or like, I get to read about this adjacent technical area of finance that I find interesting because I work in a different technical area and I like technical stuff. A lot of my readers work in tech and are like, I don't care anything about finance. I have no background in finance. I'm not that interested in it, but I like when you talk about complicated things. It's like the aesthetic appreciation of systems and complexity and the moving parts of the like, economic drivers of deals. My impression is that there are a lot of people in the world who like want to read about structures and there is not a lot of writing about them. <laughs> so they're like, oh, great. 
I get to read about a derivative. Fabulous. So I don't know. That's sort of the answer to your question. If I get to explain a complicated thing, this is going to be fine. One thing I would add there, it helps if you have Matt Levine's wit and humor when presenting these complex topics. I would not overlook his ability to take the complex and not only present it in a simple way, but a very, very humorous way. Uh, something that I wish I saw more of uh, and I would say is an important ingredient in that overall pie. Take the complex, make it simple, and add some humor in there. It'll make it much more approachable. So we're going to wind out with a particularly fun last comment. It was actually an aha where I felt like, man, that was almost a dumb question to ask. But uh, this was an enjoyable conversation with Michael Williams from Continuous Lean, someone who has become a bit of a cult classic for some of the Making Media listeners. I think that there's a lot of uh, soul that is missing from the world of branding. Uh, Michael does a good job finding it. And he just had a very easy explanation for how things work. And that is typically money. So uh, it's uh, maybe somewhat obvious, but I think this is is also a good lesson to remind yourself. How do we get our hat on Jay-Z's head? Do you have any type of idea of how we can collaborate with that? Because I'll tell you what, I would have never known Ballroom Marfa unless I saw this hat. And it seems like there's some good connectivity here. So any insights on how we can get the celeb partnerships going too? Yeah, maybe pivot to charity would be a good place. (laughs) That seems like Uh, an important detail, right? Yeah. You could donate seven figures to one of Jay-Z's charities. That might help. Some excellent advice right there from Michael, just spitting it as is. Don't underestimate what doors can be opened through charity or through dollars. Now, one last thing before I go. I'm going to say up front, I actually don't usually listen to things like this. I find they are tough to cut together. Now, I've had people tell me otherwise. Some people like to hear the hits and the clips and the mixes together. So I want your feedback. If you made it this far, that obviously means you listened. Is it worthy of doing this on a more frequent basis? The alternative would be cutting these into clips, doing something like that. But anyway, any feedback in terms of this format is welcomed. We want to be testing things out. We appreciate you listening. And we're going to have a lot more of these and a lot more insights to come from here. So thank you. If you haven't, rate, review, subscribe. We're learning some very interesting lessons from our new launch on Art of Investing. So make sure you subscribe to that channel. But also, we're going to be sharing a lot more on the inside of what was going on, how we thought about the launch, and all that good stuff. All right. We will talk to you next week on Making Media.